After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And Paul left the synagogue and went next door, next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. And as we always do before the hearing and the, 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 certainly before I teach God's word, let's pause, uh, spend a moment in prayer asking for God to help do what only he can do as we hear and speak his word. So let's pray together. God, thank you for this community, this church gathered here to worship you, I pray that we would be doing so in, in spirit and in truth, that we would uh, pause and give you the exaltation and the adoration that you, that you and you alone deserve. And God, th- I am just so very thankful for these people, for this church, and for this space to gather. And we do not take that for granted, at least I hope we don't. And so now, as we open your word, as we, as we seek to learn together um, what you have for us this morning, I pray that where I say my own things, that those would fall away, quickly be forgotten. Uh, but where I speak your word after you, God, would you, uh, as only you can, in the power of your spirit, teach and convict, encourage, comfort, whatever you need to do in our hearts to make us more like Jesus, I pray you would do that work this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now raise your hand if you long for a life that amounts to nothing, that accomplishes nothing, changes nothing, goes nowhere, is missed by no one when it's over. Any takers here this morning for a life like that? Of course not, right? Every single one of us, whether we're three or 93, We ache for a meaningful life. But what's not so obvious is what that life actually looks like. Like on a day-to-day basis, I've considered this question sort of different times throughout my life, different seasons, milestones, all the sort of the normal times when people think about meaning and purpose. Uh, And I've come up with a lot of different conclusions. I know you are there too. And you're asking these questions. Kids, you might not use the words meaning or purpose, but you do use one word quite often, and that is the word why. Right? You want to know why this, why that. You want to dig a little deeper. You want, to un- you want to get to the bottom of things. Why can't I have that cake after 9 p.m.? Why, 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 why? Right? You want to know why. 
Students, you don't always talk explicitly about a meaningful life, but I hear it in your, your fears about the school year, in your, your hopes about the future, the schools you want to go to someday. I hear it in your young parents. Some of your deepest parenting worries are rooted right here. <laughs> and I spent hours this week sitting next to a three-year-old on a plastic toilet begging her to go, just wondering, what am I even doing with my life right now? And parents with adult children, you're, you're worried as much about your children getting this than you are with your own purpose. Because maybe those are, often, those are sometimes bound up together. <laughs> Single adults, the, the cultural narrative of our day might have you wondering, is, is the meaningful life just, just out of reach on the other side of something? Or seasoned adults, you may be looking back and wondering if you left those years behind you. Whether you're working at a cubicle or you're driving to soccer or you're sitting in a classroom, you wonder, is this counting for something? Now, I'm not surfacing anything new here this morning. Many of you asked that question this morning. We all feel this sort of low-grade radiating ache (laughs) at different times in unique ways But the answer that has been fresh for me this week, both in my own personal experiences, what God is just doing in my life around me and in me and through me, but also sitting with this text in in Acts chapter 18 and sitting with this book, this whole book of what what God is doing in his church, the answer that's been fresh for me is that the meaningful life is marked by mission. It's going somewhere. There's, There's a plan a purpose, a future that can actually orient our hopes and our goals and, and our everyday lives such that even the most mundane, ordinary moments in your week can find significance if they're rooted in some kind of mission, if you start with the why. And the story of the church's growth in Acts is a story of ordinary people with extraordinary power sent on an incredible mission. Just remember... Jesus' final words in Acts 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. These are ordinary people, remember. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. You You will testify to what you've seen in my life, my death, my resurrection. Now I'm about to go up in the clouds. You will testify to that in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts tells the history of a new faith community of ordinary people that literally changed the world. Like, we're sitting here because of these stories that Luke is telling. And if you identify with Jesus this morning, if, you, if, if the one who went into the clouds after saying that is your king, your Messiah, you are on the roster for this mission. To bear witness about him to the ends of the earth. Ordinary people called on an extraordinary mission. So the question we're going to ask this morning, I like to ask, have sort of guiding questions. So we work through a text. The question is this, simply, what does it look like to be engaged in this mission? Like at a street level, what does it look like day to day, week to week, month to month, to be engaged in the mission of God, Sunday and Monday, right here and where we across the globe where we don't live. 
What does engagement in God's mission look like? Now, maybe that sounds like a boring question to you, uh, especially if you've grown up in, in the church, if, you, if these are the circles you've run in. I spent time reflecting on how God's mission is playing out here at our church in our midst, and it has been anything, for me at least, but boring. My cup has, in fact, been filled to, to full with the beautiful examples of how God is, is using you in his redemptive work. So we're going to answer this question from Acts 18. We were walking through scripture this morning. But I'm also going to share stories along the way of just, of mission, of, of how folks, how you in our church are, are engaged in a very everyday, day-to-day way. And I think it'll be life-giving, I hope. So if you've got a Bible, turn there to Acts 18, click there to Acts 18, however you do it. And while you are turning there, just a quick refresher on this Paul character, because I don't think we can be reminded of who he is enough and, and how, he, how he's gotten to be where he is. So remember, he was doing his best to thwart the mission of God. Right? So he, is, he's, he was throwing people in prison, uh, actively opposing this little seedling church that's trying to take root and grow, persecuting Jesus. That, that was his life's mission, was to do that work against what God was doing until, of course, God radically and graciously called him to it. <laughs> so, no, Paul, this is what you're going to do now. And so last week we left him in Athens uh, where he, he, he's challenged the thought leaders of the day with, with this notion of a, a living God who made you, your, your life, breath, your being is found in this living God and of the news of Jesus who has risen from the dead. And of course, his message was met with very mixed results. Some mock him. Some want to hear more. We will hear more on this matter. Others believe and are baptized. Right? That's, the gospel, that's gospel ministry in a nutshell. And now Paul is, is leaving Athens and he is on his way to Corinth. So here's sort of a this is the missionary journey up here in Greece. He's going from, from Athens to Corinth, 46 miles apart, but worlds, worlds of difference. It's like going from Harvard to Hollywood. And as the movement from Athens to Corinth is, is huge, but he connects in quickly. Luke tells us right out of the gate in, in verse 2, he meets some folks. Look at verse 2. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. If you've ever relocated to a new city, especially a big city, you know that uh, or what are some of the first things you got to do? You got to find, find somewhere to live, find a job, meet some friends. And, and Paul, those are all top priorities. Paul kills three birds with one stone right here in this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, this Jewish refugee couple who have left Rome because of political pressure from Claudius. They, they had to leave because they were Jews. And now they've started a tent-making business in this cosmopolitan city of Corinth. And Paul seeks them out, and he puts, he puts in with them. And I just, it's interesting to think about, like, they probably know, Priscilla and Quilla probably know, they're, they're Christians, they probably know of Paul, he's a big deal, people uh, have heard of him, 
And now he's knocking on their door saying, can I live with you and can I work with you? Uh, it would have been a funny job interview, I think. But the, he's put in with them. He sought them out. And Luke tells us that he spends his work week in the shop, so he's tent making during the week with Aquila and Priscilla. And then he spends the Sabbath in synagogue, engaged in debate with Jews and Greeks, teaching with, with the other rabbis. So he's a craftsman on Monday through Friday, and he's a religious teacher on the weekend. And we often talk in sort of pastoral circles about this kind of employment and ministry arrangement as being bivocational. So he's employed over here, and he's got this job so that he can afford ministry in this other setting. And, and really, in fact, tent making has become a sort of technical term. We talk about tent making as, as a ministry strategy where you, you have a job and then you, you have ministry over here. But here's a question to consider as we, as we hold verses 3 and 4 together in tension. We try to hold them together. So he's working in the shop. He's teaching in synagogue. In terms of the mission of God, which work matters more? Which job more closely resembles the mission? Because if we're asking the question, what does it look like to be engaged in the mission of God? This is sort of an important distinction to make. That's a lot of time spent making tents. And I hope it doesn't feel like I'm sort of building a straw man that I can knock down. Um, I think there are problems with the question. I think it's a false dichotomy. But I'm not posing it out of nowhere. This is common popular theology. To, to look at Paul's work as a tent maker, as as really necessary, necessary just so he can do the work, the real work of vocational ministry. Something he has to do over here so that he can, he can really, you know, he can do what God really cares about over there. It's one of the greatest heresies that our church, the 21st century church, has just has further propagated just this division of sacred and secular, especially when it comes to work. And as the thinking goes, there is missional work, right, really important work, church work, pastors, missionaries, ministry work, then there's, there's everything else out there. Second tier, it's important work, it's not quite as important. Or more accurately, its value is found primarily in its ability to support the work of the church. I'm not saying I believe that, but that is, that is not an unpopular way of even reading this text, of seeing Paul's work as a tent maker is, is really just to fund his real vocational calling as a missionary. But, but I want to push on that. I don't think Paul would see himself as someone that's in part-time ministry with a part-time job, as if his work as a tent maker is less than or its value was dependent upon its ability to fund the ministry. For Paul, it's dual service in a singular mission. Both are important. His entrepreneurial tent making was a key element of his apostolic ministry. So our, the first observation to make from this story is that when it comes to God's mission in everyday life, it's my vocation and it's yours. It's preaching on Sunday and, and it's caring for an aging parent. It's leading a small group a Bible study, 
a MOPS table, and it's developing effective business plans that contribute to the flourishing of a city, to the common good. It's sitting in these chairs, and it's sitting with a three-year-old begging for her to just put the potty in the toilet already. It's not, I'm not the only one engaged in vocational ministry, vocational full-time ministry. You won't, you won't hear us use that language here. We're all engaged in vocational ministry because the mission is wherever you are. It's whatever you're called to. Whatever station in life God has placed you in, we are the church gathered and scattered your vocation isn't merely valuable to the mission insofar as it enables church work or ministry work. In fact, Pastor Tom often says that the primary work of the church is the church at work. <laughs> the mission is advanced both here and there, inside these walls and wherever you go when you leave. Your work and education matters to God. PowerPoints matter to God. Spreadsheets. Anybody here love spreadsheets? No. Some of you are like, nah, nope. But those of you who do, you can do that work as part of God's mission in the world. Your retirement, it not, not only can it be, it absolutely must be used for the mission. And not just serving inside these walls, but elsewhere. When we work toward the common good for the glory of God, good work done well is, is part of God's mission in the world. To reclaim all things back to himself, to renew all of creation, to redeem it. There is good work and it is not just being done here. The mission is my vocation and it is yours. So a fun fact about me, uh, I, before having kids on Saturday morning, I would like just pull up our budget and tinker with it and I loved it. I lo I'm a budget person, I love budgets like a weirdo, but it took all of two years in a job, uh, in a numbers job, to realize that the financial world was just sort of a, it was kind of a snug fit for me. Um, and so, so here we are. God called me out of a bank and into a church for which I am grateful. That's, that's where God has me right now, and I'm thankful for it. I'm also thankful for the people that God has decisively, powerfully, gifted and called to the financial sector for the common good, for God's glory. Jim Mullenix, many of you know him. Jim is one of those people. He and Tina have been at Christ Community for years. Jim is the managing partner and co-founder of a financial life planning firm, and he does not just view that as his job. It's a calling. It's a vocational calling. He's He's, he's engaged in the work of creating jobs and then caring for his people and their families. He's guiding people towards financial freedom and then walking with them when things are tight. And he's investing in generations coming up. He's a, he started a, past, uh, a, not a pastoral residency, that'd be fun. Uh, he started a residency for financial planners that our families benefited from in significant ways. It's not just a job for Jim. He's cooperating with God in the mission that he's up to in the world. God cares as much about Jim's work as he does about mine. The mission is my vocation and it's yours. Do you believe that? 
I see some nodding heads because many of you do. You're living this out on Sunday and on Monday. And here's, here's a little bit of a shameless plug. If you want to dig a little bit more into how your work, how vocation, wherever, wherever God's called you to as a, as a son or a friend, whatever station of life, how you connect those things. Pastor Tom has written a book called Work Matters that I have pretty easy access to. So if you would like a copy of that book, I'd be happy to get it, get it for you. So you can dig into this and see it's, the mission is not just my vocation, it's yours. Okay, back to the text. Let's consider again this new working relationship between Paul and this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul's making tents, he's teaching in synagogue, and Luke tells us that Paul stays put for 18 months, which is the longest that he had been anywhere to date as a church planter. And that's even with intense opposition from the Jews. We read that uh, in our scripture reading this morning. We're going to kind of fly through it a little bit now. But they're opposing him intensely, like he's been opposed everywhere else. Instead, but instead of that being an opportunity to leave, like it is a lot of times in Acts, Paul stays for 18 months. Because this church in Corinth needs a lot of work. And so he stays there to help them establish and grow. And then Luke tells us in verse 18, almost, almost nonchalantly, that when Paul finally sets sail for a new destination, Priscilla and Aquila, they go with him. They pack up their bags, and now they, they're sort of on this missionary journey with Paul. Maybe the, the business partnership has just been a slam dunk, or maybe there's some lo- deep loyalty. We don't know why they go, but they go with him to Ephesus. And then literally in the next verse, uh, we're told that he leaves them behind. <laughs> so that as soon as they all arrive, Priscilla and Aquila, they stay put in Ephesus, and then Paul goes on. He he continues his missionary journey. This is, in this chapter, we see kind of his second missionary journey wraps up and his third one is launched. But the trip continues. Now, I grew up in a tradition, a school uh, primarily, but even my church growing up as a kid, where overseas missionaries were kind of, were like idolized, you know? And let me say, overseas missions work is a crucial part of God's mission in the world. But I'm talking about, like, in my elementary yearbook, uh, the serious Christians would list missionary as, like, what they wanted to be when they grew up, you know? I put professional baseball player, so that tells you something, I guess. But the serious Christian, I mean, it's like, you, you should aspire to go overseas, to go, and, and, and if, you, if you really cared about God's mission in the world, that's what you would do. If you were really sold out, you would pack up and leave. You would head to another continent. You would smuggle Bibles into China. That was sort of the, that was the thing to do. You had to do something big for God. But I love the example in this story because it's not either or. The mission is going and it's staying. Sometimes God will call us to pack up and go. A bold step of faith, an opportunity to trust him with a courageous move, a need somewhere else that God is preparing you to meet or, or some kind of formative experience that you can only get if you go. Sometimes the mission of God means going. That's obvious in this story. It's a missionary story. But sometimes the mission means God is asking you to stay, to remain, to be 
faithfully present where you are. And then he uses you in a powerful way. Look at verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So remember, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they've, all, they've come to Ephesus. Now Paul's out. Priscilla and Aquila stay. And now Apollos comes in. He's a native of Alexandria. He comes to Ephesus. He's a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only of the baptism of John. So he has a, doesn't have the full story. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So they stay in Ephesus, this refugee couple, they stay uh, to build up the church, and they meet this rising star in Apollos. He's from Alexandria, which is like saying that he's a, an Ivy League honors grad, as a, a learned, he's learned, he's brilliant, he's eloquent, he's sharp, he's a teacher, he's someone you would listen to, but, but he doesn't have the whole story, and Priscilla and Aquila hear him, recognize it, realize he needs some help, and so they, they pull him along. They don't confront him publicly. That's not helpful here. They invite him into their home, and I love the way that this translation reads it. They, they teach him more adequately. There's teaching happening here. There's some, some learning together which is astounding on several levels. If you, if you were to dig even historically on what this would mean, it's astounding. What struck me this week is that it's only possible because they, they stayed. God uses this couple in both the going and the staying. And the same is true for us. Because the mission of God is wherever you are. He's calling you to bear witness to Jesus in every season of life, in every vocational calling, in every zip code, on every continent, wherever your mailbox is, he's calling you to be faithfully present there, precisely where he has put you. Sometimes that's after taking big steps or making major moves, and sometimes it means just remaining. Now, some of you know Kathy Gordon. She recently returned home from a, a trip to Syria, um, which is consequently kind of where the region of the world where a lot of this missionary trip happens. She, was, she, she went to help build birth clinics and deliver babies in the middle of you know, a national crisis. She went to be an encouragement because her calling was desperately helpful and useful in a place with incredible need. What some of you may not know, that's what, that's what she does here too. She has a, a birth center here and is a faithful presence in, in both Shawnee and Syria, caring for moms and delivering babies for Jesus' sake. The mission is going and it's staying, which was a word that I needed this week as someone who often thinks that, the, that what's happening in my everyday life is just not that important to the mission of God, that those who are going and doing big things are really, are really getting it. But it's going and staying. Neither is it more important to the work God is up to in the world. Okay, one more look into the text. 
a deeper dive into, into Apollos and where what he does next. Look at verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, which is Achaia's in Corinth, so when he arrives, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So Apollos, he sets sail for Corinth, wishing to, to visit a church that Paul has, has planted already. We're told he does two things. One, he's a great help to the Jewish believers there, and he engages opponents by bearing witness about Jesus. So he goes to encourage Christians and to engage in the public square. He goes for insiders and for outsiders. And this is, of course, Paul's example all the way through this book, right? He's he's traveling, he's planting churches. There are unexpected folks coming into this new faith community. He He is proclaiming the gospel courageously to those who have never heard it. And then he's looping back and encouraging and writing letters and, and, and supporting the churches that he has planted. But one question I confronted sort of early on in the pastorate and can see in the, in the book of Acts is, is this question, is the church's mission for those who know Jesus or for those who don't? Who is church for, really? Is it more about reaching the seeker and the skeptic, or, or about developing and discipling and deepening with the saints? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. I mean, when, you, when you pose it that plainly, it's obvious. But it's a hard tension to hold. You know, we, we often, and church, all churches are different here, we, some, we want to sit harder on one side of the seesaw. It's kind of hard to, it's hard to hold in balance this the, the mission of, of both boldly proclaiming the gospel in evangelistic efforts and making sure that we are caring for and cultivating our faith here as the church gathered. But it is both the church gathered and scattered. We have this dual mission. When it comes to God's activity in the church, the mission is deep and it's wide. The mission is, is meant to be deep. It's Part of our work is to be working towards growth and maturity, to become more fully formed disciples of Jesus. We gather every weekend to do that work, to encourage one another, to bear burdens. That's why we care so deeply about our our small group ministry with community groups. It's a part of that work together is to deepen. But the mission is also wide, isn't it? I mean, if anything is obvious in the book of Acts, it's that we are about we are we ought to be about proclaiming the good news to everybody and everybody is welcomed in. There's no one who should be surprisingly entering the church. This new faith community is for all people. The mission is to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission is both deep and it's wide. I love the examples in this in this chapter of of discipleship, of Paul and Priscilla and Aquila in this mentor, kind of vocational mentorship together. Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos engaged together 
in learning and deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And then Apollos goes out and he does both. <laughs> he encourages and, and he challenges. It's obvious from this text, and it's happening right here in the church. I was, I was sitting in a meeting this past week where Dennis Stewart and Larry Shear were sitting on a couch together joking about something. I think, uh, I think Larry was correcting Dennis about something. And Dennis just pointed to Larry and he said in, a, in sort of a proud tone of voice, like, well, that's my mentor right there. Which was news to me. I mean, I knew they were friends. Uh, I, I, I did not understand sort of the depth of relationship that existed there. And I marveled at what that really meant. Because like me, there's some in our midst who would point to Dennis and say, he's, he's their mentor, right? He's investing in your life. So you've got Larry pouring into Dennis, who's pouring into others, who are hopefully pouring in to others. It's 2 Timothy 2.2, this discipleship verse in action, where Paul says, And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people, Timothy, who will also be qualified to teach others. It's this deepening relationship of multiplication that is so very close to the heart of the center of this movement of God's, of God's mission advancing in the world. And the question for me that was challenging this, this week was, am I in this kind of relationship? Are you in this kind of relationship where you are, you are both investing in someone that is coming behind you and being invested in by someone who who is steps ahead. And not just to get practical life skills, but to actually become more like Jesus together. If you're not in those kinds of relationships, what is keeping you from that? Because that is the beauty of this multiplying mission that God has begun in Acts and is continuing today in our midst. The mission is about deepening with others, but it's also about bold, courageous, proclamation to a, of the gospel to a dying world, or as was the case this last week, to a dying friend. This is where we'll close. So seated next to Larry and Dennis at this meeting was Mary Kay Halstead. And our, our meeting ended with her just telling a story, a moving story from her week, where God had been stirring in her heart to share, to share the love of Jesus with an old friend who was in the hospital, who was on his deathbed, a man's man, as she, those are her, hers, her words, someone who she would never consider just casually sharing Jesus with. God had been working on her to do that. You know how God does that, just kind of keeps prodding until we move. Mary Kay said she had been stubborn for a couple weeks. It's hard for me to imagine her being stubborn about something. That's the story she told. And then she finally caved. She followed God's leading. Terrified, she hopped in the car, just drove right there, didn't think much more about it. Fighting with God all the way to the doorstep, trusting him for every word. That was their deal. God, I will do this if you give me every single word. And with tears in her eyes, Mary Kay shared how God used her to lead this man and his wife to Jesus. Just two hours of God-ordained, spirit-led conversation about Jesus and his forgiveness and the grace that he offers. 
And she said, I didn't do it. God did the whole thing. And Howard passed late on Thursday afternoon and saw Jesus face to face literally days after meeting him. That's also the mission of God in this world. And praise God for doing only what he can do through the imperfect but faithful witness of Mary Kay Halstead. And we need to hear this clearly this morning, friends. This mission is not ours. <laughs> We're not in charge. It doesn't depend on us. We cannot stop it. Paul tried. The mission is God's. The marvel really is that we are invited into it. In so many different ways, we're invited into it. Whatever you're going to this week, you are invited into this mission. Wherever you find yourself called to, living, whatever trip you're about to take, God is inviting you into his mission. In whatever relationship you find yourself in, with, with other Christians sharing their burdens, or with someone who you would never expect to talk to about Jesus, God is inviting you to join him in what he's doing there. And I am grateful for the stories. I mean, I spent an hour thinking up those stories this week. There are countless more in this room of the ways that God is active and re reclaiming creation back to his perfect design through you. And it really is a joy to be on this mission with you. Don't miss out. Don't miss it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incredible story of your work in the world. This whole book and the way that it just showcases you doing incredible things through ordinary people who, have, who, have, who are characterized and immersed in this mission of bearing witness to Jesus here, there, and everywhere. God, I pray we would do that in our work, wherever we're going to, in our family relationships, in our school, God, on our sports teams, whatever you, wherever you have us called, to may we be about the work of bearing witness. God, thanks for calling us together as this faith community gathered and then scattered. Thank, so very thankful for the work you're up to here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, periodically we, we like to have a segment on Sunday mornings that we call This Time Tomorrow where we highlight a congregant and the work they're doing and, and what they're doing literally this time tomorrow. And so I've asked Matt Stevens to come today and just share a little bit, really in this vein, in the vein of the mission of God in the world and how we are all called to that work, um, to share just a little bit about what he is doing this time tomorrow. So Matt, why don't you introduce yourself, you can read off my cheat sheet there if you want to, uh, introduce yourself, tell us um, what you do and, and then what you will be doing even this time tomorrow. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so my name's Matt, and um, married to Melissa, who's uh, serving in the nursery right now. 
We got three kids down here, uh, 13, 8, and 5, and um, I work as the communications manager for Heritage Christian Academy, which is a um, Christian pre-K through 12th grade school in Overland Park and Olathe down on 159th Street, and I just celebrated my first year there, um, or my first anniversary there. It's been a really, really good year, and uh, excited about the, uh, the future both of the school and of getting to work there in this, in this role. Um, this time tomorrow, I am probably going to be putting on finishing touches and continuing to uh, to try to work with our head of school and business administrator to find the funds to double our marketing budget for next year. Um, so after getting a lot of proposals about some things that need to need to happen, in my opinion, and uh, hopefully I'll be persuasive in that, but uh, if the Lord wills. That's great. Well, in your varied kind of vocational appointments, which I, I know you'll t- touch on a little bit, how have you experienced God's work in and through you, and maybe more specifically, how... Have you seen him use you to carry out his mission in the world? Sweet. Yeah. So um, as last service, I had a fairly long answer to this. Uh, My work experience, uh, vocational history definitely has been varied. Um, I think a lot of times, especially when we're younger, we envision a a path that's pretty linear and and straight and uh, clear. Mine has been very windy. I have not, uh, I'm not where I envisioned myself um, being exactly, you know, whenever I was younger. And certainly the path to where I am now is not what I would have pictured. Um, I grew up on a farm. I went to uh, Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri, where I met my wife. I studied communication arts there, not the technical side, but more the the human side, the interpersonal side, and the theory and public speaking and whatnot. Um, And from there, I went into social services, uh, worked for a little bit, and then worked for a community nonprofit um, down in Springfield, Missouri. I was there for a couple of years. And really was uh, since the Lord prompting me to go into urban church planting, or that's, that's sort of the specific sliver of what I thought that, that the Lord wanted me to do. And um, so kind of in light of the, the skepticism of that, you know, that demographic, um, I knew I needed some, you know, some more training in that. So I went to Trinity uh, Divinity School up in Chicago where these guys went. It was a really good experience. Um, and after that, served um, a church in North Platte, Nebraska for about a year and a half as their associate pastor. Um, and um, after a while there, felt like there were some things that needed to happen in, in my heart and in our lives um, to just take a break from that and go into kind of what I call a normal job, even though pastoral ministry is surprisingly normal. You do all of the... I have an, I have an email address, and I have all the things that everyone else has. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a real job. It's the hardest job I've ever done. Um, so he didn't pay me to say that or ask me to say that, but no, um, it's, a real, it's a real job. Yeah. But anyway, but I went into a job that was what you might think of normal. I, uh, sales in a manufacturing environment, inside sales, working with distributors to uh, supply products to customers, and... Um, so I did that for about three years before um, sensing a, a renewed call to go back into the pastorate 
went to be uh, the lead pastor of Harvest Evangelical Free Church in Branson, Missouri. Um, was there for about a year and a half, again, kind of similar pattern there, uh, before moving back here to um, Kansas City area, uh, and since being here, I've been in communications. So um, it's been quite a journey, and I think the, in the big picture, what the Lord has, has taught me is, A, we, we can't plan our path and think that, you know, that it's going to be an easy and straight path. Um, and even more than that, he taught me to trust him and to not be discouraged that things weren't working out like, you know, like, like I understood that they should. Um, it also encouraged me that even in the, the three years that I had working in, uh, you know, you might say the secular marketplace, I know we don't like that word here, but um, working outside of, you know, sort of the church and um, context, that I really could make a difference. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, when someone knows you're a follower of Christ, and maybe they don't know right off the bat, maybe it's not like, hi, I'm Matt and I'm a Christian, you know, um, but eventually in conversation, you, it, it comes out that, that you know Christ. And, um, and one of the things for me whenever I was at, at this company uh, was it was surprising at how simple it was to make a difference there. Um, I was working in a manufacturing environment. I knew nothing about manufacturing or engineering or sales or pumps. I had no experience or training in any of that. Um, but about a year into it, once I kind of figured things out, um, I started really making some progress with our, um, the distributors, the people that represented the product to the customers, um, and started getting feedback from our regional sales managers um, kind of throughout the U.S. Uh, from our distributors that they had not received that level of customer service in like the 20 years that they had been working with our company. Um, and it really kind of, uh, it just kind of surprised me um, at how simple things like sort of uh, asking questions and seeking understanding, having empathy for people. And after all, most of what we do is in some way serving people. And I think it's easy to forget that image bearers of God are on the other end of the phone or reading my email on the other, you know, on their computer um, but that we can be a blessing wherever we are simply by doing good work, treating people with dignity, being honest, um, you know, putting in a hard day's work and using some common sense. So, um, and whenever I left that job to go into the pastorate, it was like everything just sort of came out, all the people that, you know, emailed me or, you know, told me over the phone what a difference that I had made in their lives just in my normal um, work. And even to this day, a couple years later, I still get, you know, stay in touch with those people. And uh, yeah, so it's pretty fun. So how can we pray for you um, this time tomorrow? Yeah, so this time tomorrow. So you can pray that, uh, if if God wills, that that, uh, the budget stuff that I'm working on is going to work out. That's a big deal. It uh, affects what I'm able to do throughout the next year. Um, And then secondly, that I'll be uh, patient and realistic because I tend to be an idealist and a bit of a perfectionist. So I see... I see what needs to happen, and I'm just like, let's go. And sometimes i got to put on the brakes. So just discernment and wisdom and patience. That's great.
Well, thank you, Matt, for sharing. I'm going to pray for him uh, for the things that he's asked prayer for. So join me in prayer. God, thanks for Matt and his, just the ways, just the various ways that you have used him in the different places you've called him to, uh, as a, as, certainly as a, as a husband, as a father, um, but also in the workspaces you've called him to and the impact that he's had on the lives of people uh, just just by bearing witness to your goodness uh, through his life and his work. So thank you for that. I do pray for this, um, this, this budget proposal, this marketing work, God, that you would um, be in and through that, provide his, him and his team what, what they need. Um, and also, God, for all of us, ask for patience on the way as we are engaged in work, but specifically for Matt, uh, as he needs patience now to... Um, to lead forward with, with grace and, um, God, empower him to do that in a patient way. God, thank you for the ways that you're using all of us. Uh, this time tomorrow, I pray that, um, yeah, that we would be a blessing to others and that we would carry out your mission in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.